Chapel RVA. Can we make some noise for Jesus in this room? Is anybody excited to be in the house of the Lord on a Sunday morning? I think you can do a little bit better than that. Can we make some noise for the King of Kings and the Savior? Amen, amen, amen. Go ahead and take your seats, take your seats. Y'all gonna make me nervous. I'm super excited to be here this morning. Can you do me a really quick favor? Can we make some noise for the entire pastoral staff of Chapel Scott's Edition, Chapel Midlow, Pastor Joel, Pastor KJ, Pastor Jason, Pastor Brandon and Katie. Thank you all so much for allowing me to be here. I'm super excited. I have to tell you, when I got the invite from Pastor Joel, I said yes before he ever finished typing the message. I said, when Pastor Joel asks you to do something, you just do it. You don't ask any questions. You don't ask any prerequisites. You just do it. Pastor Joel, thank you so much for allowing me to be here. I told this story during first service, but I was watching Pastor Joel's sermon from a few weeks ago. Um, and about 10 minutes in, I was a little concerned because Pastor Joel admitted to eating fried chicken from a gas station. And I was never more confused in my life. And I told Pastor Joel during first service that if he ever invites me back, I promise him I'm going to show him how my grandmother fries her chicken with all the seasonings, all the flavors, all the salt, and everything you can imagine. So I'm super grateful to be here. Uh, Pastor KJ, can you help me celebrate Pastor KJ really, really quick? I have to tell you, Pastor KJ is one of my best friends um, on this planet, and he's having an amazing conference. Chapel is having motion conference in just two weeks, and if your student or your young person is not registered, you have to make sure you do that today. I had the opportunity to preach at motion conference last year, and honestly, it's something that my team and my students are still talking about. Motion conference is the type of conference where young people are marked. They're not just going for entertainment. They're not just going because it's going to be a good time during a weekend in the summer. But it's an opportunity for your student to be marked by the promises, the faithfulness, and the goodness of the Lord. And I know that right now in this world, there's a war going on out there for this next generation and for our young people. And I know that Motion Conference is going to be a huge opportunity for them to make a decision that I'm putting the cross before me and the world behind me. So make sure your student is in attendance that weekend. I want to jump right into the word of God this morning. I believe God is going to do something special. I'm going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1115, you brought the rain with you, so I'm excited because I believe the same way God opens up the windows on earth to let the rain pour out this morning, he's going to open up the windows of heaven and let blessings flow. I don't know if you believe that or not, but God has that type of power where he can send his grace into a room and whatever you need. He can provide it for you. First Samuel chapter 30. I want to give you some context as to where we are in the Bible. We're going to spend some time with David this morning in what can be described as one of his most traumatic experiences throughout his life. At this time, David has been anointed for the kingdom, but he's not yet in the position of a king. Because while he has been anointed, Saul is currently in the position of a king, although he's no longer anointed to be there. And I don't know if you know this or not, but that is a dangerous place to live, a place where I'm in a position that I'm not anointed for. And David is in the wrong position, yet he has the right anointing. And if he's not careful, he'll allow the lack of position to make him think he's not anointed. But I want to encourage somebody this morning who know that you know that you know that God gave you a word just because you're not in position yet does not mean that God doesn't still have a promise with your name on it. You can be anointed and not get in position. 
So verse 1 opens up in 1 Samuel 30. I'm in the New King James Version. It says, Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag, and burned it with fire. And had taken captive the woman and those who were there from small to great, they did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was burned with fire. And their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Verse 4, then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelites, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. Then David said to Abiathar, the priest, Ahimelech's son, please bring me the ephod. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover it all. So David went, he and the 600 men who were with him, and came to the brook Besor, where those stayed who were left behind. But David pursued he and 400 men, for 200 stayed behind, who were so weary that they could not cross the brook. I want to jump to verse 17. It says, Then David attacked them from twilight until the evening of the next day. Not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his wives. And nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything which had been taken from them. David recovered all. Then David took all the flocks and herds they had driven before those other livestock, and he said, this is David's spoil. Chapa, I want to pray for us this morning. God, I thank you for your presence. God, I thank you for your grace. God, I thank you for a word. God, I'm grateful to know that you are the kind of God who can meet each and every person in this room the way that they need it the most. God, I'm grateful that you can take one word and allow it to be heard a million different ways. God, I'm grateful for each and every person who's watching on the live stream who are in the need of something from you. And so, God, I pray that this moment would simply be what you already planned it to be before the creation of the earth. God, I thank you that each and every person under the sound of my voice, God, you know their needs, you know their heart, you know their pain, God, you know what they're experiencing even in this season. And so, God, my prayer is that this word that is spoken today would remind somebody that hope is still alive, that would remind somebody that the goodness of the Lord is still following them. God, I pray that this word would remind somebody that it's not time to give up yet. And God, as for me, I pray that there would be no fear, no nerves, no anxiety, just your spirit and your strength standing tall in me. God, have your way. I decrease that ultimately your glory may fill every room, every car, every desk, every job, every facility that this word is being sent to. God, have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Chapel, this is my third time having the opportunity to preach here. This is my first time on a Sunday morning. And I feel like whenever you go somewhere for the third time, you're basically a part of the family now. And so because I'm part of the family, I'm, I'm like your cousin from down the street. I want to give you some insight to my childhood because I believe my childhood will give you insight as to the man I am today. When I was growing up, 
I wasn't necessarily the most popular kid in school. And it wasn't that anything was wrong with me. I just didn't really put myself in positions to be liked by a lot of people. I was an insecure teenager. I was afraid of my own shadow. I was very introverted. I like to say to myself, I was awkward. I was shy. I had a lot of fears going on down on the inside of me. And now the difficult part about my natural personality of being introverted and shy is not that I was an introverted teenager. But it was the fact that I wanted to be a great athlete one day. And when you look at culture and you look at the people who have the opportunity to have a public platform, introvert and shy and fearful and awkward and insecure isn't necessarily the characteristics of a good athlete, so we think. When you look at people like Kobe and LeBron and Usain Bolt and all the NFL players, what you see is somebody who is confident. You see somebody who is bold. You see somebody who believes in themselves. But truth be told, that wasn't my story as a teenager. I had a hard time believing that I could do all things. I had a hard time believing that I could actually be successful. I had a hard time believing that I was worth something one day. And so because that was my natural personality, growing up, I learned at a very young age that there was something wrong with me. I learned that who I was down in my core was ultimately going to hinder me from being all that I believe God had called me to be. I learned that if I wanted to be successful, if I wanted to be somebody one day, I was going to have to learn how to pretend. And so at a young age, I learned the art of pretending. I learned how to walk into a room and pretend to be confident, even though I really had insecurities going down on the inside of me. I learned how to walk in the room and smile, even though I felt like everything was falling apart. I learned how to say yes and yes and yes, even in the moments where I wanted to say no, because I was afraid that if somebody saw my natural personality, if somebody saw my natural identity, they may have the opportunity to destroy me. I learned that if you ever let your enemy see who you really are, They may have a strategy over you. And while that natural defense mechanism to pretend and act like you have it all together ultimately resulted in me getting a scholarship to run track and field at VCU, unfortunately, I took that same mindset into my adult years and off the track. And so although a defense mechanism of pretending worked for me as a teenager, when I became an adult, because I had got so accustomed to pretending, I took it to my job and I took it into my family and I took it into my relationships and it hurt me. Because what was once a defense mechanism to protect me against the people who were trying to overtake me, it ultimately became a hindrance to the people who were trying to love me. I learned how to put up a wall and never let anyone in. Because I just don't want you to see my broken pieces. I learned how to go to work and say, you know what? I can do that. I'm stronger than that. I can take on that project. I can take on that task. Even though I know that I'm feeling burnt out. I learned how to be in a relationship and say, you know what? Everything is okay. You can talk to me any type of way. You can say you're going to borrow money and never give it back. You can talk about me and say anything you want to. And I'll just be okay. Even though deep down inside, my heart was hurting. Isn't it so interesting that in one season, what was helping me to become successful in this season is hurting me? So often in life, things can go from helping to hurting depending on the season that you're standing in.
And this is not just regulated to our human experience. My dog has a lot of fur, and the fur will keep him warm in the winter, but can cause a stroke in the summer. The leaves can give life to the trees in the summer, but they drain the trees of life in the winter. Chick-fil-A can be your friend when you're eating that chicken sandwich, but your enemy when you step on the scale. Let me tell you about it. I've got a testimony. Something can go from helping you to hurting you. And I know that so many of us can relate to David in this moment because we've had some things, we've had some people, we've had something that went from helping to hurting. The Bible says that Saul used to be David's mentor, used to be his pastor, used to be his spiritual father. But in this season, the very person that was once mentoring him is now chasing after him, trying to kill him. It went from helping to hurting. What once used to be my advocate has now become my adversary. And now I'm learning how to live in life with something that I thought was for me. But now it's against me. And this can be used in any field, any arena of life. Most people who struggle with addiction didn't just wake up one day and become addicted. It was something that they thought was good for them. And now in this season is killing them. Have you ever felt like something went from helping you to hurting you? And the truth is, when you are in a season, when something goes from helping to hurting, you have to make a decision to either fight the environment that is hurting you or run. As humans, we go into this fight or flight response. And the truth is, for many of us, we run. We run from the thing that is causing us pain. We run from the environment that is causing us fear instead of standing up and fighting. And just like David... So many of us in this season feel like we're on the run for our lives. I'm running from the shame. I'm running from the guilt. I'm running from my past. For some of us, we're running from ourselves. I don't want to deal with the fact that there's something wrong with me. I don't want to deal with the fact that I really might need some counseling. I don't want to deal with the fact that I have to have hard conversations. So instead of dealing with my environment, I choose to run. But the dangerous part about running is that you can spend your life running from the past and running from the shame and running from the guilt and running from the grief and running from the disappointment until one point you get so tired of running that you end up burnt out. So David is running and the Bible says that while he's running from Saul, he chooses to run to the Philistines. And I went back to that vacation Bible school lesson where I learned that David actually killed Goliath when he was fighting the Philistines with the help of Saul. But now in this season, David is trying to make who was once an old enemy a new friend simply because he's trying to run from another enemy. Isn't it so interesting how sometimes you can run from one bad thing to another bad thing because at least this bad thing doesn't hurt as bad. Sometimes you can run from one enemy to another just because you're trying to find safety again. And I know what it feels like to be in a season where I'm in between my enemies. I've got an enemy ahead of me. I've got an enemy behind me. And I'm never really confronting the thing that caused me pain. I'm never really confronting the enemies that are surrounding me. But I live my life and I've learned how to work around my enemies. I learned how to never truly get my heart healed. I just learned how to work around the grief. I'm never really going to counseling. I'm just working around the depression. I'm never really asking for help. I'm working around the anxiety. So many of us are tired in this season, and you've been trying to figure out why is it that I go to bed every night, and I get eight hours of sleep, and I'm eating healthy, and I'm working out, but I still find myself tired. It is because you have been working around your enemies, and your body is trying to tell you that something has to change. 
Something has to give. At some point, you're going to have to make a decision that I'm not going to keep running from the things that are hurting me, but I'm going to confront them. So in this moment, David is rejected by Saul, and he runs to the Philistines to ask for help, and they tell him no. So now he's down to nothing. He was looking for a helping hand. He was looking for a friend. He was looking for some level and some layer of support, but he could not find it in what used to be a mentor, and he could not find it in what used to be an enemy. He's surrounded on every side, but yet still alone. And I just wonder, do I have any people in this room, in the lobby, or maybe even online, that you know what it feels like to be in a season where I'm down to nothing? No one to call on, no more resources to spend, nobody else to help me through this trial. I need somebody, but it seems like nobody is there for me. To be honest, God, it seems like you've forsaken me too. God, I know that to say that you're good. God, I know that God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. But God, if I'm being honest in this season, it just doesn't feel that good because I'm down to nothing. But what I love about what David does, and I can relate to it so much, is that the Bible says after he realizes that he's down to nothing, he makes a decision to go back home. And I don't know about you, but one thing I've come to learn and to love about this life is I don't care how bad things get, I don't care who I lose, I don't care how disappointed or how much failure I experience. One thing about Alvin, I'm always going to go back home because I know when I get home, I have a root beer and a peach cobbler waiting for me. I know when I get back home, I've got a warm bed that I can snuggle up in. I know that when I get back home, there's a safety there. But maybe for you, it's not a physical location. Maybe for you, it's something that you know you can depend on if all else fails. And it leaves you saying things like, if all else fails, at least I still got my money. If all else fails, at least I still got my peace. If all else fails, at least I still got my hope and my faith and my family and my friends. If all else fails, I know that I at least still got this thing. But what do you do when your home, whatever it is, is gone? What do you do when the last reliable option, the very thing you thought you could depend on, the very thing you thought you would never lose is gone? And you're having to learn how to live in a world without something that you never thought that you would lose. I never thought I would lose my mind. I never thought I would lose my money. I never thought that I would be the one without a job. I never thought that I would be the one to end up divorced. I never thought that I would be the one to lose my parents at this point. I never thought that it would be me in this situation. Now I'm learning how to live in a world with something that I could have never imagined I would be without. I lost something. And not only did I lose it, but it was taken from me. The Bible says that while David was on the run from Saul and running to the Philistines, a third enemy, the Amalekites, came into his home and they stole everything from him and burned the rest to the ground. What do you do when the very thing you were depending on is stolen? I didn't just wake up depressed. Somebody stole my joy and never gave it back. I didn't just become brokenhearted. Somebody took a piece of me without my permission, and now I'm trying to build myself up again. I didn't just become mean. Somebody abused my trust. Now I'm learning how to let people in again. What do you do when something is stolen from you, and now you have to build yourself back up? You have to put yourself back in the ring, even though you have no more strength left in your punch. And that's why we have to be careful, Chapel, about how we judge people that we do not know because we don't know who's trying to navigate something that was stolen from them. And while we may see it as the latest gossip, they may actually be in a season 
where they're trying to get something back that they never thought they would lose. And so David gets home and everything is gone. And David is having to reconcile the fact that maybe, maybe this is my fault. Because truth be told, the only reason why the Amalekites ever had the opportunity to even come into David's camp and take away his family is because David was running. Because family, it's hard to guard something when you're on the run. It's hard to guard your heart when you're running in between relationships. It's hard to guard your children when you're busy, busy, busy and never noticing what they're interested in or what they're watching or what they're doing. It's hard to guard your integrity when you surround yourself with the wrong people. It's very hard to guard something when you're running. And for some of us in this room, I know that you're saying, Pastor Alvin, that sounds so good, but you don't know. You don't know what I've had to run from. You don't know the curses that are chasing my family down. You don't know the addictions that I'm trying to escape. You don't know the fact that I'm living paycheck to paycheck. Alvin, you don't know what I've had to run from. If you've seen everything I was running from, if you've seen the shame, and if you've seen the guilt, if you've seen the pain I used to experience, you would understand why I live my life on the run. I want you to know that you know what I may never know, and I may never get it, but God does. He knows you've been on the run. He knows you're afraid. He knows it's stormy and the season seems dark right now. He knows that you're trying to escape something. But you don't have to run alone. God says, I can be with you. Even in the darkest of valleys, I'm there. Even while you're on the run and you're in between your enemies, I am Emmanuel. That means I'm near to you. I can be with you. And it doesn't make it any easier that the Bible says that the people who were surrounding David talked about stoning him because they were disappointed in the fact that he would even allow this to happen. David was the leader. He was the mighty warrior who slayed Goliath. He was the anointed one. He was the chosen king. How could you let this happen? I want to talk to all the parents, all the entrepreneurs, all the leaders in the room. I know what it feels like to have the people around you put an unrealistic expectation on you to never make a mistake and to always have a perfect day and to never say the wrong thing. And because you made a mistake one day, now they're blaming you. And you're having to sit in the idea that maybe this is my fault. Maybe I ruined this. If I just would have called a couple more times, maybe they wouldn't be so lost. If I just paid a little bit more attention to my child, maybe they wouldn't be doing the wrong thing. Maybe if I would have just invited that person to church, they wouldn't be so far in the world. Maybe, just maybe, could it be that I messed this thing up? Could it be that I was too distracted running? That now everything is falling apart. David knows what it feels like to have a moment of blame and shame and brokenness. But what I love about David in this moment is how he responds to immense brokenness. The Bible says that David strengthened himself in the Lord. The Greek word for strength is dunamis, which means power. 
So David did not just find strength in the Lord. David found power in the Lord. And I asked myself, God, why did David need power in order to take back what the enemy stole? And God told me that it was because David knew that there was a giant that was bigger than him. There was an enemy that was greater than him, and he could not do it by himself. So David knew if I'm going to get back what I lost, I'm going to have to do it with a power that is greater than me. Because I got a devil that's bigger than me, but I got a God that's greater than anything. So God, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it with you. God, if I'm going to go, I'm going to go with your power. God, I recognize that I'm out of my weight class and I cannot do this by myself. So God, I need your power to be in this relationship. I need your power to raise these kids. I need your power to lead these people. I need your power to be on this job. But God, I can't even be in this marriage without you. God, give me your power. Because without your power, I'm going to fail. And for so many of us, the reason why we keep finding ourselves in cycles and cycles and circles and circles and disappointment after disappointment is because we keep trying to go after it with our own strength. But the Bible says that his strength is made perfect in your weakness, not in your ability to convince yourself that you're strong. And I know we live inside this fake self-affirmation world where they tell you to look in the mirror and say, you're strong, you can do this, you're powerful. But the truth is you're not. You're not that strong and you're not that powerful. But you have a God fighting for you that will go ahead of you and make your crooked path straight. You have a God fighting for you who can slay every giant and slay every Goliath. You have a God fighting for you that is more powerful than any demon that can try to raise up against you. But until you recognize that you need him, You'll never have the opportunity to truly rely on him. You don't have enough power for the giant ahead of you. And so you're going to have to go to God in prayer. And it's through prayer that David receives his power. And I know that so many of us celebrate the fact that David strengthened himself in the Lord. But if you're not careful, you'll celebrate the strength and you'll celebrate the power without recognizing how he got there. He didn't just go pray and it led him to power. But power came from prayer and prayer came from grief and grief came from this, the disappointment and the disappointment came from the rejection. And so although the ending place was power, the starting place was rejection. And so many of us in this room, if we're being honest, we're dealing with the season of rejection and disappointment. Let down by people. Let down by loved ones. For some of us, me let me down, and that's devastating. And for others of us, if we're being completely honest in the room, the person we've been let down by the most, if we can just be honest, it's God. Because God, I thought you were going to show up for me. God, I thought that you heard my cry. God, I thought you heard my prayer. God, surely if you're good, you wouldn't have let this happen. God, surely if you knew me by name, you would have seen my situation. God, I thought that you had this under control. But God, it feels like I'm rejected by you. God, it feels like you've been ignoring me. God, I've been crying out over and over and over. And I, yet I have not seen your goodness yet. God, where are you in the midst of my pain? God, where are you in the midst of my disappointment? God, where are you? And the Lord told me to tell you, that he wasn't rejecting you. He was just trying to get you to power. 
But you wouldn't have got power if you didn't pray. And you wouldn't have prayed if you would have felt like everything was okay. So he had to take some things away from you so you can see that, you know what? God actually might be a provider. God actually might be a healer. Because when he had it in front of you, you only looked at it. And you should be looking at God. And so I had to make you stop depending on some people and stop depending on some things so I can show you that I am the redeemer. And I am the restorer. And I am the one who can give you strength. Family, don't curse the rejection. Because the rejection can lead you to power. But you're going to have to learn how to love the rejection. And see the rejection for what it really is, which is a vehicle to power. And so instead of pouting and crying and being upset about why this happened and why they left me, you should be saying, God, I thank you that I lost a job. God, I thank you that they walked out of my life. God, I thank you that they talked about me. Because they talked about me, I learned how to talk to you. Because they left me, I learned that you really can be my friend. Because I didn't have my father in my life, I learned that you really can be my Abba Father. God, because I was disappointed, I saw your face more clearly. For some of us, the greatest thing we're going to have to do after this message is go back home and forgive God for the ways we were disappointed. God, I thank you that even the hurt helped me. God, even the pain worked for my good. God, weeping may endure for a night, but I know that power can still come in the morning if I see it correctly. And so David goes to prayer. And he asks God, shall I pursue this troop and pursue everything that I lost? And if I do it, will I overcome? And God responds to David. He says, pursue, for surely you shall overtake them. God gave David a command when he said pursue and a promise when he said, surely you shall overtake them. What I've come to learn about God in this walk is that he'll never give you a command without also attaching a promise to it. He'll never tell you to do something without promising that you're going to get something bigger and better on the other side. But for so many of us, it's not the fact that we have a hard time hearing the command. We just have a hard time believing the promise. This isn't a hearing thing. This is a belief thing. God, I heard you say to start the ministry. God, I heard you say to start the business. I just don't believe you're really going to allow it to be successful. God, I heard you say to get my heart together. God, I just don't believe that you know how broken I am. God, I heard you say to forgive that person. I just don't believe that you really know how bad they hurt me. God, I heard you say keep praying for the child and not to give up on them. But I don't think you understand how bad they're getting on my nerves. God, I heard you. I just don't believe you, God. And truth be told, family, I don't have an equation or a solution for a lack of faith sometimes because you know what? I struggle with it too. And while I may not have a solution, I do have a response. Because David, in this text, the Bible says that after God gave him the command and the promise, David did one thing wrapped up in three words. It says, so David went. He didn't have clarity. He didn't have confidence. He didn't have all the answers, but that did not stop him from being obedient to God. I want to let you know something. That delayed obedience is still disobedience. God didn't say, David, you got to have a game plan. God didn't say, David, you have to have a strategy. God says, David, I need you to go. And are you willing to go even when you don't know how I'm going to show up for you? Are you willing to do what I told you to do, even when it feels uncomfortable? And even when you don't have clarity, so David went. He didn't have point A through point Z, but point A through point B was enough for him because he said, 
says, God, I trust you more than I trust my fears. God, I trust you more than I trust my doubts. God, I trust you more than I trust myself. So God, if you tell me to go, I'm going to go. If you tell me to write the book, then God, I'll write the book. If you tell me to start the business, God, I'll start the business. God, if you choose to pack me and my family up and move us across the country, then God, I do it because I trust what you said. And I don't believe that you'll take me somewhere just to leave me. So God, I'm willing to follow you even when I don't know how you're going to show up for me. God, I trust you. Even when I don't know. God, I trust you. Even when I don't believe. I didn't feel this any other service, but I believe so wholeheartedly that there are some people watching in the lobby, watching online and in this room that this is all the words you need. You're going to have to go. I know it's uncomfortable. I know you've never seen anybody do it like this. I know that nobody in your family has experience like this. I know that you've never seen this done before, but that does not mean that God would not meet you halfway. And the reason why you feel like, God, you haven't pointed me to point Z yet is because God moves faster than us. So if he gives you the whole game plan, you're going to be scared anyway. So God says, I can only give you little pieces, but pieces is enough for you because even in the pieces, you can still have breakthrough. Even in the pieces, you can still have peace. Even in the pieces, you can still trust that I'll go with you and I'll go before you and I'm already ahead ahead of you now I don't know who that's for but I hear God saying it's time for you to go and you may have to go by yourself I know you're used to having a cheerleader I know you're used to having a support system but are you okay if it's just you and God in this season are you okay if nobody else believes in you and nobody else agrees with you if everybody else thinks that you're over your head are you okay but still going And David had to be willing to go even with fear, even with tears in his eyes, even with the lack of clarity. And so the Bible says that David obeys and he takes his men and they're walking across the brook and they get to a point where his men say, David, we're too tired. We're too broken. We already lost everything. We're down to nothing. The only thing we have left is our life and we're not willing to lose that too. And so they choose to stay behind the brook. And David has to make a decision to step into the possibilities of what God can do or stay in the comfortable moments of living with what he lost. And David chooses to keep going. David chooses to walk towards what he lost, even though he's weeping over the fact that he lost it. And he chooses to leave the men behind, not because David had superpowers, and not because David was a better leader, and not because David was so great. The only thing that separated David from everyone else who stayed behind the brook was the fact that David had learned the art of weeping and walking at the same time. David said, yes, I'm weeping, but I'm not going to stop pursuing what God said. Yes, I may have tears in my eyes, and I may be anxious, I may be depressed. There will be seasons is where I may have to do it depressed. I may have to do it with uncertainty. I may have to do it even while I'm afraid, but it does not mean that I'm going to stop. And I want to speak to somebody who's been dealing with pain, who's been dealing with disappointment, and you thought that because it was uncomfortable, that's a sign that it was over. You thought that because it was bad, that's a sign that you should give up. But I hear God saying that this is just the beginning of your beginnings. I hear God saying that just because you're crying does not mean it's time for you to give up, but there's still something for you to do. There's still ministry to be done in this city. There's still children who need to be saved. You still have family members who need to know that the Lord is good. You still have people in your life who are depending on you to do what God is calling you to do even though you've got tears in your eyes. There were seasons of my life 
where life just didn't give me the opportunity to sit on the floor and have a fit. I lost the job, but I still had bills to pay. I was broken, but I still had people depending on me. I've been a youth pastor for the last five years now, and if I would have given up every time I was weeping, what would happen to those teenagers who needed to see somebody who was strong enough to keep fighting even when life was beating them down? I had moments where life beat me down so bad that I had to sit in my car and cry and then walk on a platform and talk about the goodness of the Lord, not because I was lying, but because I was learning how to weep and walk at the same time. So for the person listening, who is on the edge of giving up just because you have tears and just because you think things are so bad I hear God saying it's not over yet there's still power in your walk the tears are not a sign that it's time to give up the tears are a sign that you have to keep going so David is now walking by himself no more money, no more resources, no more friends, not even the army who was supposed to have him back. David is down to nothing. And if you're not careful, you will only look at the story in the natural. And while in the natural, David may have nothing in his hand, he still has something in the spirit realm. Because in the spirit realm, he still has the word that God promised him. The word that says, if he pursue, then surely he shall overtake. And I know that I know that I know that there are some people in this room that you may have nothing in the natural, but you got some words that God promised you. You got some words that says, that child is already saved. You got some words that says though he slayed me, yet will I trust in him. You got a word that says he'll go before you and make your crooked path straight. You got a word that says even in the shadow of the valley of death he will be with you because his rod and his staff will come for you. There will be seasons when the only thing you have to rely on is the word of God and will that be enough for you? If nobody validates you and nobody votes for you and nobody supports you Will that promise that he whispered to you years and years and years ago, will that be enough for you? As I look across this room and I talk into the camera, I know that there are some people listening. You've got some promises that you know the Lord has given you. And in this season, that may be the only thing you have in your hand. But that word is enough. Because the Bible says that his word would not come back to him void. So if he said it, he has to accomplish it. And if you haven't seen it accomplished yet, well, I got good news from glory. That it's not over for you yet. So David walks on the word. And he gets to the enemy's camp. And I'm almost done. You all can stand. He gets to the enemy's camp. And not only does he take back what he lost... But many of us skip over the fact that he had to do something first. He didn't just take back what he lost. But he had to be willing to confront what he lost. And for some of us, that's the most difficult part. To confront what we lost. To look at the broken pieces of our heart and confront them look at the family that has walked away from us and confront them. To look at the children that if we're being honest, we didn't always make the best decisions with, but still confront them. Sometimes confronting what you lost takes vulnerability and it takes a new level of faith because confronting what you lost looks like forgiving somebody who may never apologize to you.
confronting what you lost looks like forgiving your parents and saying, you know what, I'm not going to keep blaming mom and dad for what happened to me. I'm just going to make a decision to change. Confronting what you lost looks like going back to therapy. It looks like finding a small group leader and saying, I can't do this thing by myself. Confronting what you lost looks like running to your pastor and saying, can you pray for me? I know that I pretend to be strong, but if I'm being honest, my life is falling apart. Confronting what you lost means being honest with yourself about where you are. So many of us are addicted to vengeance and revenge that we keep trying to confront who took it from us. So much so that we overstep the fact that we lost it in the first place. This morning, God is not asking you to wage war against who took it. He's just asking you to go get it back. They may never apologize. They may never recognize what they did wrong to you. They may never see you the way that God sees you. But it doesn't mean you can't still recover. There are some promises with your name on it. And I know it to be true. Because the story ends with David taking back everything that he lost. And it says he put his name on it. He said, this is David's spoil. And I learned in elementary school, when you have something that belongs to you, you have to put your name on it because when you put your name on it, nobody can take it from you. They'll look at your water bottle and they'll say, this is Alvin's water bottle. I can't have it. And in this next season, Chapel, I want to let you know that you're going to have to start putting your name on some things so that the enemy knows that he cannot take it from you. This is Alvin's peace. This is Alvin's joy. This is my family. This is my child. And you can't have what belongs to me because I belong to God. You can't have my children. You can't have my hope. You can't have my family. So I want to pray for you. But this service specifically, I want to pray for those who feel like hope has been robbed from you. I'm not going to ask you to come to the altar or raise your hand. But I'm going to ask that you be honest with yourself because I know that there are some people in this room that what you feel like you lost the most was hope. There's some people in Virginia Department of Corrections that you feel like hope is gone. Maybe I messed up too bad. Maybe my cards weren't dealt the right way. There's some people in Scott's Edition you're just looking for hope again. And so, Holy Spirit, I thank you <laughs> that you never run out of hope. God, I thank you that even though we may be in a season where we're looking around us and it feels like everything is messed up and everything is gone and everything has been taken, God, it feels like my life is falling apart. I thank you, God, that there is still hope. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you've got enough hope for each and every person in this room. And God, I hear you saying that for somebody in this room, <laughs> hope is going to catch them by surprise. In the darkest of nights, in the hospital bed, hope is going to find you. When you're crying yourself to sleep, hope is going to find you. When your children are running around acting crazy, hope is going to find you. Yeah, for that doctor's report, hope is going to find you there too. So God, I thank you 
that we're going to recover it all. Everything we felt like we lost, our peace, our mind, our hope, our children, our family, our joy, our finances, our jobs. And God, I'm praying that you would do it expeditiously. I recognize that we may not be strong enough on our own, God. But I'm grateful to know that not by strength, not by might, but by your power, God, we shall recover it all. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Chapel, I love you all so much.